Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and I'm joined by fellow consultant, Liana Sangster. Hey, Liana. Hey, Dom. Hey, Liana. I've brought you in to help with a question we got from a listener, which was around an LSI debrief or a Lifestyles Inventory debrief. How do you frame it up? So how do you come into the session, you know, set the scene for people, you know, before we actually get to looking at the, the reports and stuff? And I thought it was a really interesting question because I know even amongst our consultants, I think we have some different approaches to it. You know, there's no kind of one way of doing it, right? But what I'd love to have a chat about today is what are some of the key elements that you'd mention at the start of a debrief session that you'd talk through? So maybe the what and the why. Mm. So why would we do it that way? What's kind of your thought process behind it? Yeah, we can definitely talk about that. Yeah. Uh, Yes. I mean, I think that you're right. Everyone has probably their own approach, but over years of practicing, I found that there were a couple of things that just needed to be hit on in order to put the client at ease and make them feel ready for feedback, let's say. And of course, you've got the sort of overall process of rapport building that's part of it. But I think the the frame up around what are the key bits of information about the circumplex, about the process, will really help prime that person to have an effective discussion or a good discussion with you. Well, beautiful. That's what we're all waiting to hear. Let's so, kick into it then. So let's we? get into it. So, <laughs> so I like that teaser, that cliffhanger. Yeah. So, so <laughs> just going to draw it out a little bit more. Yeah. So, where do we start? Yeah, where do we start? Like, where do you start? Literally. Yeah. So, I mean, I won't go into the kind of rapport building element, but I will go straight into you know what do I start with when I look at a circumplex? We've got some data we're sitting with here. We've got someone sitting in front of you that's feeling a little bit anxious about what they're mm. what they're going to look at. So it's really important that before they even look at the data, they know that what they're looking at is mm. measuring certain things and isn't measuring certain things. So we start. Mm. I like to start with the circumplex is about effectiveness, and so we're not measuring whether you're a good or bad person. We're not measuring whether you are good or not good at your job. We're looking at overall effectiveness and how you might maximize your own effectiveness. Uh So that's really the anchor around the circumplex, whether you're looking at it through culture lens or group lens or individual lens. We're looking at this idea of how do we maximize our effectiveness. And so that's like fundamental. So that's what we're here to do in this session. It's about effectiveness. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, love it. Because sometimes people do read in good and bad and you sort of mentioned at the start, there can be a level of anxiety, right? If we're getting feedback feels like a bit of an exam almost, you know, or yeah. something like that. It's not, of course, but people can have that feeling. Yeah, you know? definitely. So, Always a feeling about what other people are going to say about them. What, what are other people going to say about me, right? Yeah. And I totally understand why you know, I, I get a bit anxious, you know, because you're like, oh, it's human. man. Yeah, it's human, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so it's kind of framing up what is this thing all about? Mm. And it's, well, it's about effectiveness, yeah. chances for increasing our effectiveness. Yeah. And that's probably where I leave it at effectiveness. We could go on further with that, but I kind of leave it as a light touch thinking, you know, that's where we start and we can, can build the client's understanding of what does effectiveness mean mm. relative to the circumplexes we make our way through. I think the second point that is really critical with the LSI is that it's learned behavior, not personality. So you'll mm. hear people talk about, oh, I've done things like this before. Mm. I've done a personality metrics, the metric I've, I've done. Herman Brain or all those other tools, which are, they're all great, but I want to make a differential between the LSI and the personality metric because you could take an MBTI 
today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, and the theory is it'll be the same. Mm. So that's great. Learn about your personality, learn about the traits that are true for you. But I don't want clients to look at the circumplex and think that's them. That's a fixed state because mm. it is a, it's a learned behavior. We have learned how to think and be. And often the LSI 1 takes us back to quite early childhood. So we've adapted certain strategies, tools for thinking and, and being that at some point were helpful to us. And I think that's the most important thing that you have learned ways of being that have been useful to you. It's not a critical judgment of who you are. So that's back to that. It's not good, bad, right or wrong kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And so I do the same, which is we've learned to think this way. We've learned to behave this way over time. Things have happened in our life or at work or whatever. And we've learned that if I think or behave in this way, it must help me at some level. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. All right. So it must help at some level. The question we're curious about is, does it continue to help us? Or might it come with a cost? Yeah. Right? Could there be a different way of doing it where we can get the benefit, the upside, without that same cost, either to ourselves or others or whatever mm. it is? And I think actually for a lot of clients, I don't know if this has been your experience, Don, but a lot of people are less conscious of some of their thinking patterns. And so really we're just raising some awareness about what they are, mm. which kind of leads me to my next point. It's a, mm. the first session you spend with a client particularly if you get a very task-oriented individual in your realm, like in your, that you know your client's task-oriented, they might be expecting to come into the session and leave with a 10-point action plan. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to position that we're just raising some awareness in that initial phase, knowing that awareness, acceptance, action process is what we want to guide our clients through, that we frame up initially that today's really an awareness raising. So we're just going to heighten our consciousness about this thinking and behavior with a view that over time working with them you'll refine focus areas that will become useful for the client. Yeah, and I think that can be can be useful putting people at ease again, right? Definitely. It's just kind of giving a bit of structure. So today, we're not looking at coming up with the 10-point action list today, right? It's just about we're going to have a chat. We're mm. going to look through the data. We're going to be curious. We're going to ask, you know, how does that help me? How might it hinder me? Yeah. We're going to have a chat about it. And actually, for some people, setting up the framework initially, this is what we're going to do today, this is what you're going we're going to meet again in two weeks. This is mm-hmm. what we'll do then. Mm-hmm. That actually puts some clients really at ease. So mm-hmm. they go, okay, I can relax now, understand where we're going with this. Mm. I think some clients don't value it as much, but I still do it because I want them to be aware that it's a process. Yes. Because what happens is sometimes you get this kind of heightened anxiety when you're looking at the data and you might want to rush through to find the solution. And it's helpful if you can just let them realize that it will take time to process and we're not going to land on that 10 point action. Totally. So it's just about levels. awareness today. We're not looking just, to yeah. solve it because it has curious. to sink in. And that sounds like it might be another episode we could do. Uh, yeah, we could. Next week, moving between those two. Okay. So we've kind of set up that it's about effectiveness. It's all learned thinking and learned behavior. And it's not static. So it can change. If we've learned it, we can learn different ways, right? We have to just yeah. challenge it and question it. And I think that that as well, like, so it's designed for change. The difference between a personality metric. One of, I should say, the difference is that we can all learn how to be constructive. We can all learn constructive thinking uh-huh. patterns and behavior. So, uh-huh. you know, that so you'll hear people say in debriefs, oh, this is who I am. I'm, uh-huh. I've always been this way. I'm um, a perfectionist. Yeah, I am competitive. It's yeah. just who I am. Yeah. And so it might be very true that that's a quality that you relate to, but you can also learn how to do yeah. Yeah. other forms uh, of thinking. True. I always point that it's not who you are, right? It might be what you sometimes do. Yeah. Or what you've done doesn't mean it's who you are. Okay, so we've gone through 
it's about effectiveness. It's learned behavior. Today, so kind of framing up. So today we're meeting, it's about awareness, right? We're just going to have a chat through the data. We're going to be curious. You know, maybe two weeks later, we're going to talk about actions, whatever it is. Where do you go after that, Nana? So I like to, we sort of said it, but I like to stress it out that it's a point in time. Mm. And when we talk about it being designed for change, that is pointing towards this as well. But the point in time is an important reference because it leads me into some of my next questions, which is we're going to spend some time understanding the context you're in right now, what's going on for you inside, outside work, remembering it's a lifestyles inventory, because I want to explore broadly the person's life Mm. and how it might be, that point in time might be influencing something that's showing up for them in Mm. their circumplex. Okay. So point in time, meaning we measure today and we measure in a year's time and well, hopefully we want to see some change for the for the positive. Yeah. Because we've put into place some actions and all that kind of stuff. And it's a bit of a catch, the point in time, because I, I don't want to get stuck on the point of time because if you, that model S plus T equals R, stimulus plus thinking equals response. We don't yeah. want to get stuck on the I am because of the situation, but we do want to navigate the situation and how we're responding to it mm. because it will help us to understand what do we do. So if clients say, you know, I'm particularly under stress at the moment, I've you're taking on too much at work and I'm not spending enough time at home with the family, then you could start to get curious about what are some of that person's habits mm. that lead them to do that and how do we use the circumplex to find new ways of still getting to outcomes mm. without getting to that burnout phase. Mm. Mm. Yeah, okay. So so you start exploring then what's going on for them, which is interesting because I'd kind of do that up front. Before even getting to the stuff. Okay. So a bit of a different approach there, but right. Just asking, what's going on for you right now? So interesting. So you bring it in now, mm. which is totally cool, right? And as we said, there's no one way of doing it. Yeah. Find the way that works for you. I mean, I think I change it depending on the person, to be honest. Right. I jump, I'll jump in right. and out and around all the time. Yeah. The next thing that I would do, though, or I've sort of built into my practice in the last year or so, is to tell clients that I will ask a lot of questions and that the purpose of the question is to help them to deepen their awareness. Mm. It's something that I learned to do after some feedback from a client that I worked with that they weren't prepared for that level of questioning. Mm. Um, and so I thought, well, actually, it's a quite a good strategy to say up front that my role is to ask questions and the reason I'm doing it is because I want you to get deeper insight. And if I ever ask a question that you're not clear about, let me know, you know, ask the question. And I just think it helps prepare people for that type of coaching conversation. Yeah, okay. So it's kind of framing up your role. Yeah. Basically, right? I'm here. We're going to explore the data together. I'm going to ask you questions to try and like prompt your thinking. Yes. That's kind of what I'm here to do. Yeah, I like it. So again, I think it's putting people at ease. So what's Leanna about? You know, what's her role? Right? Tell them. Definitely. That's really the purpose of all of all of the frame up is to get the person into the right frame of mind mm. so that they can reflect. Mm. Okay, so you talk about your role. What comes after that? I think that's the main points, actually. I'm, uh, I'm now thinking, what have I missed? The only thing I add sometimes, and you talked about it already, was the S plus T equals R, so situation plus thinking equals 100%. response. Yeah. So I'll talk about that just because it's a framework I'll potentially come back to during the discussion. So situation is, you know, stuff happens. It's all the stuff going on around us. It's this meeting with my boss. It's the culture of the company we work in. It's whatever, right? Stuff going on at home, situation. And that, of course, is going to impact our thinking, right? We're not an island. Mm. Uh, Of course it is. But it's not S equals T equals R, right? So they're still separate. They're still different things. 
And so we have a choice, mm. right? We have a choice about how we think about things. And we measure that thinking in the LSI-1. So that's kind of how I start introducing the Frame two different measures. Nice. Right? Yeah. So that's the LSI-1, and then we choose a response, or perhaps we go straight to a reaction, and that's sort of what we see in the LSI-2. The reason I like bringing it in, in early is because when people say, well, recently I've been, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. Like That's all true. And of course, it's going to impact us, right? But what can we do? What options do we have, right? We still have a choice in our thinking. Yeah. And sort of where we want to keep coming back to. That model is the best for framing up the LSI mm-hmm. 1 and 2. I use it in every debrief. And I love your use of the word choice because in my mind, one of the key outcomes over and above awareness in a debrief is for individuals to realize that there is choice mm. in between a situation, how they think about it, and in between their thinking and their response. Because I do feel that a lot of us are on autopilot and we're letting our circumstance dictate. Yeah, or yeah. sort of habits, patterns of thinking right. that are less conscious to us. So if, if there's anything I'm looking for at the end of that first session, you know, after the frame up and the debrief, is that the individual has heightened consciousness of, of that LSI-1, maybe mm. the LSI-2, mm. so they can start to even just entertain the idea that they can choose something different. That I have some agency, yeah, right? Self-efficacy. Yep. I can change things and make them, you know, I have an impact, right? My effort makes a difference, if you like, from achievement. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting sucked into the situation and, and reacting. I've got a choice and how I can respond. Because I'll use it because often people say, I have to dot, 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 right? Which means because of the situation, I have to yeah. dot, dot, dot. So I'm in sales. I have to be competitive. I have to be competitive yep. or I have to protect myself for whatever reason. Right? Mm. Now, again, there could be some truth in that, right? It's not to say the S doesn't exist. It does. It's very real. Yeah. But what can we do? You know? Cool. Okay. So we've sort of been through. So it's really just seeing the same. What are we, you know, what's it all about? We learn it. It's not set in stone. We can change it. Today, you know, kind of this is what the next couple of sessions look like. Here's what we're focusing on today. Yep, it's about effectiveness. It's about effectiveness. What's the context for you going on? So, you know, what is happening? Your role as a coach, as a debriefer, here's what I'm going to do. And then we talked a bit about S plus T equals R and and stuff like that. So that's kind of the, I guess, general frame-ups. Things we didn't mention in there, Mm. I guess, right, is – we teach people a lot of stats and stuff like this about the validity and reliability of the tool and stuff. And I noticed you didn't mention that. No. <laughs> what's what's your thinking there? So if, if I'm if I'm hired as a consultant to roll out a program, my preference would be to put that up front in any kind of program design, take it out of the coaching arrangement. So what do I mean by that? I mean when you launch programs, make sure that the information around how you chose the tools, around their re- reliability and validity you know, maybe you have a workshop or you have an information session mm. to cover it all off before. The reason I don't like doing it in a – if someone asks the question, obviously you do talk about reliability and validity, but I just don't think it's helpful discussion in a coaching scenario. So I like to have the information available and ready and usually communicated prior to getting into that. That's my preference. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally the same way. Like Unless someone asks specifically, yeah. I, I don't bring it up because it doesn't matter to them. And it's, you know, there'll be people listening that will say, you know, I've got people in the academic field that, you know, really would like to know this stuff. And there's a couple of key things you can say, right? And we've got one slides on the portal, I think, that show you some of the key key stats that would probably get you over the line in Mm. terms of Ivy League colleges using the tool, 
being peer-reviewed by some of the top journals in America. There's a couple of stats in there that will probably help you demonstrate the validity and reliability. Yeah. So, and it's, to be honest, it's pretty rare that I actually get that question. Yeah. I, like, and when I do it, usually it's just people checking, checking if it's legit or not, which, look, is a fair question, yeah. right? And, you know, one of the things we pride ourselves on is that it is academically robust and yeah. stands up to all that kind of stuff. But to a lot of people, they, they're more interested in what does it tell me, <laughs> you know, rather yeah. than the research. But I've, I've had it before where someone asks, and it's like, cool, let's talk some st- statistics. And they're like, you yeah. know what, actually, it's okay. <laughs> they just want to see that I was prepared to yes. talk about it, you know. It's uh, actually, Sean once said to me, when you work with a client, you've got to determine whether they need, they need some facts, some data before they're ready to reflect or if they're happy to reflect without it. And mm. you'll occasionally come across clients that absolutely need the facts and the data mm. in order mm. to put them at ease to reflect. And so if that's the case, you just have to have a bit of that information in your back pocket. Yeah, totally. Beautiful. I, I just wanted to talk about that, though, because we teach lots of stuff. Right, but it doesn't mean we have to tell everyone all the stuff all the yes. time, you know. But it's nice to have in your back pocket in case it comes up, in yep. case you're asked. Okay, so we've sort of been through the frame up. What about you know introducing the actual measure itself, or you know the style stuff like that? Yeah, what is my preference with the style? So usually I always just take the circumflex one pager in. That's the only tool I use in a debrief. So that's the one cardboard page that has the circumflex with the style descriptors yeah. around the outside of it. Yeah, comes with every pack. So I don't spend a lot of time on the circumflex, interestingly, in a debrief. But I would normally, because I don't like to spend all of the time talking in a debrief, I usually will engage with the client and say, what do you notice about the circumflex? What's jumping out at you? And just get them to engage with the data. And then I'll usually do the high-level data splits, so talk about satisfaction, security, and what we mean by that. Mm. So when we're looking at your circumflex, we're going to get curious about how much color is on the top versus the bottom. Security, when it's, there's a lot in security, it suggests that you're operating from a place where you're protecting yourself either through your relationship with, relationships with others or in the task area. So that's you could call it feeling insecure mm. if you're operating from that space mm-hmm. versus color up on the top half satisfaction needs, feeling clear on what you need to do, able to live true to a set of values, act with integrity, build good relationships with others, etc. So keep it really basic in terms of satisfaction, security. Yeah. I usually just go for thrive versus survive. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's ones bunkering down, security needs. Use language that works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And then left and right, so task and and people. Task and people. So all the way over here and task. Because you remember task can be done from a defensive and a constructive space, likewise with people. Hmm. So we look at where does the color fall task versus people. Do we have weight on one side or the other and what might that suggest? So if Hmm. it's high task, it's someone who really likes outcomes, who wants to strive to get the job done. Really generic descriptions, people side, more conscious of relationships, who we bring with us. And they're loose descriptions because – we're talking about tasks because tasks can be done from defensive or constructive. Yeah, so it's the whole half of the circumflex, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I often, after that, would talk about, you know, so I'd zoom into the passive-defensive cluster or something and be like, it's on the people side towards security. So it's about keeping ourselves safe and our relationships with other people. Yeah. Right, and then use that as like a frame for kind of explaining the different segments, I guess. Yeah, it's a good way to do it, actually, like, sort of divided into quadrants almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so so you kind of don't actually go into too much detail then no. at the start. Which is, but I, I do. Maybe a bit too much sometimes perhaps, but so I take a bit of a different approach from, from you where I'll, 
what I'm trying to do is get people to land on their own insight as to where they want to be. So if you haven't had a chance to do a workshop or something before where you've done this kind of stuff, is I'll frame it up so passive defensive is about keeping ourselves safe with other people, right? And then look at the styles. And, and what I'm trying to do is what's the payoff, what's the trade-off of the different styles? So I might do an example for approval. So the payoff could be things are pleasant, things are nice, we mm-hmm. get along with people, isn't mm-hmm. this kind of, that can be good harmony. What could the trade-off be as it gets further and further out, right? Well, maybe I don't really agree with what Leanne is saying right now, but I'm agreeing. Here I am agreeing anyway. Yeah. Right? Maybe I don't want to do this thing, but here I am doing it kind of stuff. So it can be a bit of a cost to our sales perhaps. Yeah. And then what I want to do is kind of hand it over to them. So what's the payoff? I might talk about the payoff and then get them to think about what the trade-off could be. Yeah. And in that way, you're setting up the, the it's not good or bad, right? Because there's payoffs, right? But it might come with a cost as well. Yeah, nice. And getting them to identify that. And then, of course, when you get to constructive styles, it's kind of hard to name the trade-off of having integrity and, and you know, being true to yourself and, yeah. or whatever. Setting you goals. Know, yeah. setting, goal, setting realistic, stretch but realistic mm-hmm. goals, right? Less of a downside compared to perfectionistic, so unrealistically high goals. Yeah. Right? Because part of my... Th- thinking in that is that I don't want to get into a situation where I'm telling people to be blue. Yeah. I'm telling people to be constructive. I want them to kind of land on that for themselves, right? Yeah. There's nothing I yeah, I there's nothing worse for me in my mind. I've done it before in debriefs where I've sort of been the cheerleader for blue, but mm. that's probably one tip I would suggest to people is to steer away from trying to convince someone that blue is the the way to go and find a way to get the client to identify. And so I do it with that payoff and trade off. Yeah. Right? Because payoff, you know, acknowledges that there can be some useful stuff, or they do it for a reason, right? But does it ever come with a cost? Yeah. As well, right? Could we do it a different way that maybe doesn't have the same cost, mm. right? And that's typically up in blue. And sometimes that's where I bring effectiveness back into it, because that's why it can be more effective. You can get stuff done from red, no doubt. You can get stuff done from green. I'm not going to argue with you. Mm. But they come with a bit of a cost to them as well, right? And you can do it from blue without the same cost. Mm. You know, and that's why it can be more effective. Yes, whatever you're trying to do from down there, you can find a home for it in the constructive somewhere. Totally, totally. So you kind of, so you show them the one page, but then kind of look at their data, and then from what it sounds like, you talk about the ones that matter to them. Yeah, that stick I mean, out I, for them. Yeah, look, which makes sense as well. I might do something a little bit naughty and look at their data before and and use descriptions. I totally look at their data you know? before. I know, so, I know. <laughs> you know, so passive defensive and you might start to describe some things that might show up or feel accurate for the individual. You know, so they're going, ah, oh, that feels right to me. You know, sometimes I might doubt myself. Sometimes I might just want to check in with people before I make an action. I find it hard to get going on some things. You know, so I might start to build in what I've already seen in the circumflex in the description. Totally. And Liana was saying she was a bit naughty there because there's, there's a philosophy, I guess, <laughs> in our consultant team and our consultants that some, cause some people don't look at the report at all because yeah. they want to discover it together with the person. Right? Which is fine. And that, that's awesome. I get that. I guess I'm more of a planner or something. Yeah. Right? I want to know. I flash a look. So I don't sit there and study it for an hour. I'll look, take a 10-second look where I look at the circumflex, maybe look at the outcome items of both. And the reason I do that, at least, is because I've got a feeling of where to spend my time. Yeah. Right, or where to spend their time. Yes. Right? Is it more on the outside one or two? In the description, should I be a bit more, take a bit more time in the passive instead of the aggressive because that's more where their styles sit, for instance? Yeah. 
So I want to make sure they really understand those ones. And yes, we'll talk about the other ones too, but maybe you know not as deep because it yeah. doesn't really apply to them. Stuff like that. So I sneak a look. So there you go. We're both naughty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd like to do a poll in the group, the AP network, find out how many people look before they go into a different That'd be interesting. I'd okay, like let's do it. We'll put a poll up there. Probably, well, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Probably most do, I reckon. I think so. We want to know. Cool. Okay. So that's kind of the frame up. Is there anything frame else up. you'd do? Not in the beginning stages. That's uh, That's really it. Occasionally, I might ask for permission. You know, I'm I'm gonna I might ask questions or make observations. How do you feel about that? Just mm. Throw that in. Mm. I often forget to do that though. But there's, you know, I'd love to hear what other people do as well. This is not definitely not an exhaustive list, but yeah, um, that, it's it's actually a good point. The the last thing I would do after kind of introducing the circumplex is ask them what resonated yeah, for you. What questions do you have? When, or when we were going around the circumplex, were there any styles that kind of jumped out to you that you yeah. think might show up in your profile? Yeah. Right. Because typically when you're discovering it, uh, when you're talking about it, you'll see the reaction. You know, we talk about, I don't know, conventional and they kind of have a bit of a laugh or something because mm. they, they recognize that style in them or, you know. Yeah. Well, they point it out and go, oh, my partner's definitely over oh, there. Oh, my partner's or, over yeah. there or something <laughs> like that, right? So was there anything that stood out for you? What do you think you might see in the LSI, in your own survey right and your own thinking yeah what do you think you might see and it's just getting them to already kind of raise their own awareness right and start thinking well will you be more on the task side or the people side satisfaction or security mm. where do you think it might end up mm. you know and so sort of see where it goes from there nice beautiful well i hope that helped our listener out there and i think you know those are some of the key points to hit on i guess but it's not one way Right, so you've got to kind of find your own approach that works for you. But I think those are some really awesome tips and a bit of a guideline, right? But then make it your own. So we don't want to be too prescriptive. Yeah, so definitely. Go for it. Beautiful. Thanks for your time today, Liana. Thanks, Dom. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.